0: This is Cloud City. Cloud City with Martin Bove.
1: Hey, hello. This is Martin Move uh, from Cloud City. I have Sophie Manighas in the studio. Sophie, welcome. Uh,
0: Martin, thanks for this invitation. Thanks for being here.
1: Yeah, it's really great having you. So, I'm going to give a, I'm going to try to give a short introduction um, about who you are. So, Sophie Manichage, uh, professor and faculty dean with flaric Business School and the University of Ghent, and board member of a lot of companies. Um, Specialized in finance, I can say, and more uh, entrepreneurial finance, private equity, venture capital, and business angels. Sophie, uh, it's always difficult to introduce a professor. You've taught at so many business schools and around the world, um, did so much research also. Would you like to add something to that list?
0: <laughs> um. This is a nice introduction, a nice, uh, concise overview because uh, it pictures what I'm standing for. I'm standing for financing entrepreneurial companies, uh, very interested in high growth companies and uh, how they match the resource requirements, financial resource requirements with what they need, with their goals and their ambitions and their dreams. Um, Trying to bridge uh, the academic world, the world of science uh on the one hand and uh the real world with uh, serving on boards and and talking to people and giving advice to entrepreneurs and investors
1: yeah i think it's 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 really fascinating actually the the world of entrepreneurial finance um Mm -hmm. yeah it has such a huge impact so before we move on actually i would like to ask you a question so um Civil engineer, uh mm-hmm. ingenieur. I wondered in my preparation how you get from being a civil engineer to a finance professor. But for <laughs> me, that's it's 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 really a huge leap, actually.
0: Yeah. Uh, No, it's not such a huge leak, Martin, because uh, as an engineer, obviously, you're uh, very strongly involved in maths, Uh, you do a lot of maths, and finance is also about numbers, about having the numbers right. So what do they do? after my engineering studies, I went on to study management at the Vlerik School. And uh, there I discovered the world of finance. I, I would never be able to be an, an HR professor, for example. I don't understand the psychology of the human mind. <laughs> I could not be a marketing professor. Huh? But finance is really about uh, uh, more numbers, mathematical models, rational More rational uh, to start (laughs) with. Uh, So, um, we do see that quite a lot of finance finance professionals uh, do have a scientific background. So, uh, it's not so uncommon. Okay.
1: Okay. So, but um, yeah, so you started at Fleric. Can I also state that you were one of the first people that started to research uh, all about financing startups and scale Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's correct. Uh, Even on a worldwide basis. I was not the first, but uh, there were very few of of us interested in the phenomenon. Uh, So it was definitely not mainstream my PhD a long time ago was about uh, the development of the venture capital industry in Europe I really had to explain everyone what venture capital was so it was absolutely unknown at that point in time um, it could not be published in the mainstream journals because they were really looking at that domain as being very small and utterly irrelevant at that point in time it was only the quoted companies that were important and where you should devote your time to not those tiny startups that well (laughs) what's the purpose of those
1: yeah okay yeah yeah i think times have changed of course because i think Mm -hmm. the startups yeah we all know them the googles the amazons the yeah they all uh, grew really quickly so um do you still do research by the way Oh, yes, obviously. Yeah.
0: <laughs> That's our task, one of uh, the main tasks of being a professor at the university.
1: Yeah? <laughs> and, and you keep researching uh, about the yep. startup world, Entrepreneurial France?
0: Yeah. together with uh, PhD students and uh, with uh, international colleagues, uh, Uh, One project that we're starting currently is about uh, um, sustainable finance, so financing uh, ESG-related companies. We're not sure how we're going to define that. That's uh, another topic. But uh, the world of entrepreneurial finance is evolving so quickly. Another project is about private debt rather than private equity. Uh, So again, quite some similarities. It's um, an, an asset class that has been exploding the last decade becoming uh, more and more important and going to be more important in the future as well so uh yeah there's so much uh, interesting things going on
1: yeah yeah so what are the big trends that you see actually if you compare it the the last 10 years for example in the world of uh, entrepreneurial finance yeah
0: in in real life. Yeah. Okay. So um, definitely uh, it has become much more acceptable to look for financing from different sources. In the old days, uh, entrepreneurs went to look for funding from their family and friends that has always existed. Um, then they went to the banks and that's it. And banks should not finance startups because they are way too risky. I don't want banks to risk my um, money uh, that I saved on my savings account. They should not use that to finance startups. So I don't think that that's the role of banks. So I really agree with banks being quite tough there. But then it stopped for many companies. Okay, so for many entrepreneurs, they did not um, think about looking for funding elsewhere. And so many entrepreneurs in those days limited the growth um, depending on the amount of cash they were able to make through their day-to-day operations so that made that the growth rates in the past of young companies was very slow so we did not see those explosive growth companies as we see now um given that That has changed dramatically. So entrepreneurs, some entrepreneurs uh, are really ambitious. They see all kinds of role models that have popped up, uh, see different ways of working. And uh, so now there's a much bigger um, openness towards other types of financiers than there was uh, in the past. Which I really applaud, obviously, because that enables to grow much more quickly compared to what you would do just uh, reinvesting your cash flows. It
1: it, it triggers a distant memory. Um, I I once, I once uh, years ago, I did an MBA, and um, one of my fellow students, uh, a former um, CEO of something of a B Post affiliate uh he told me yeah if you throw uh, enough money at something it will always grow is that true no
0: <laughs> <laughs> no definitely not Uh, you need to have a good product market combination and it's so difficult to find that so it's absolutely not easy so um, second you need to have the ambition to grow a company but it's true that typically if you don't have the ambition then the money will not be thrown to to you you will not look for the money Um, and you have to have the capabilities of building a sustainable organization so growing a company is extremely difficult without money it probably is not going to happen although we have seen examples of very clever strategies to overcome the hurdle of not having external money Um, but uh, it's not because you have the money that by definition you grow look at the portfolio of venture capital investors of angel investors they're full of failures it's part of the game that's why we call it venture capital
1: yeah, yeah. yeah, last week we had uh, Ruth Janssens of the VC Tech Fund uh, Two More Ventures. Um, yeah, we talked about that also seed capital, uh, how the funds work. Um, yeah, it's one of many ways, of course, to get money. Um, and that brought me back to, to a class that I once uh, followed uh, with you, we, uh, f- from you, actually, the entrepreneurial finance class. Um, now, uh, I personally found it much more interesting, not it's not the right word, more um, yeah, thrilling actually, more exciting than corporate finance. Uh, <laughs> now, <laughs> I know so you, do
0: I, Maarten. <laughs>
1: <but> <laughs> now, uh, for the listeners out there, how would you describe the difference between the both?
0: It's, it's a huge difference. Um, and there's no good or bad. So you can be excited of traditional corporate finance as well. But um, my personal interest is also more with entrepreneurial finance. When we talk about uh, corporate finance, we talk about mature companies. They are established. They have uh, strong product market combinations. They have an organization that is uh, set up that runs properly. And uh, so... What you're doing there as a CFO um, is optimizing everything. Okay, so you have something that is in place that has to be optimized, uh, and obviously you can also do exciting things. Eh? If uh, you do an acquisition, uh, definitely uh, that's uh, quite uh, an important event in uh, in a corporate life. Um, if you um, go to the stock market, if you issue new also bonds, also exciting. Uh,
1: uh, so absolutely. there's
0: many exciting things there as well. But the organization itself, you start from something that is uh, established, that is relatively stable, and it's more about optimizing from a platform that's already there. When you talk about entrepreneurial finance, you start from scratch, you start from nothing, you have nothing. So uh, you cannot afford basically any mistakes. If you do a mistake, well, you do not have uh, a cushion to fall back upon. You just fall down on the ground and uh, in many cases it's game over um well then you can start a new you can start a new company and uh, so um the failure is not um, we should not blame people that failure eh? at least they tried huh? so um,
1: absolutely
0: so entrepreneurial finance is about seeing opportunities uh, out there uh, in the world and ensuring that finance first does not hinder you in achieving your goals so making sure that you have sufficient finance but ideally and this is very different from mainstream corporate finance ideally your financing strategy also strengthens your uh, operational your business strategy so you have a synergy between your financing strategy and your business strategy because what is very different because between raising money from the stock markets, from the bond markets, whatever, or raising money in an entrepreneurial finance setting, is that hopefully, as an entrepreneur, you have access to smart money. It's not just money. It's um, a partner that comes along with you and uh, that provides you uh, the insights to help your company grow and develop and create value. So you don't have that. If you issue bonds on the bond market, you don't have that on the stock markets. You do not always have that in an entrepreneurial finance context. Sometimes you raise mon- money from shareholders that do not provide any added value to you. But at least you have the option to do so. You can do so. And this is something extremely different between corporate and entrepreneurial finance.
1: Yeah, I think uh, last week we also talked about that. Um yeah, it's, it's really the, the value the, that financiers bring to the table also, eh? the yeah. network and, and other stuff. Yeah. Um,
0: and the value that investors can bring to the table will be different de- depending on the stage of development. So one investor can be excellent for the very early seed stage and another investor might be more important for then the growth, the internationalization stage, whatever. So... Um, Having a good view on who might be optimal at each development stage is really important.
1: Yeah, and attracting the right investors for the next stage yeah. I, also depends on the investors that are at the table at this point. Ah yeah. Yeah.
0: ah, yeah. Absolutely. You have to have a long-term vision when you design a financing strategy early on. Because if you do not have the right investors early on, they can block even your first development. They can block next capital increases or whatever. If you have the good investors, they can facilitate that. And they will tap on their own network to provide access to uh, potential other interesting investors, etc. So uh, really important.
1: So what would you say, uh, and I know it's a long list, but the, the most important financing sources within entrepreneurial finance? Mm -hmm. I know it's a long list, so you don't have to... It is a long
0: list, Martin, (laughs) because it has... The good news for entrepreneurs is that it has uh, expanded so greatly. So uh, uh, there's so much more available nowadays than uh, in the old days. But that makes it more difficult as well. eh? As an entrepreneur, you have to understand what the options are, what the pros and cons are of the different options and uh, make the right choice. Now, a choice that every entrepreneur should consider that is relevant for every entrepreneur is subsidies. It is um, not very sexy. It's not uh, very glamorous, but it's also important. And uh, some entrepreneurs... um, (laughs) say, well, it's such a hassle, so much administration and red tape. Yes, there's some, uh, but it's free money in the end, if you get it. And uh, so it's a first layer. So all entrepreneurs should look whether there are subsidies available to support their companies. And it goes for small companies, for ambitious companies, for whatever company. Okay, there's so much available uh, nowadays around here. So that's the first starting point for everyone. Yeah. And then it depends on um, what your ambitions are, what your goals are, uh, what stage of development you are in, how much you are trying to raise. Um, if you uh, go to a B2C uh, market, um, then crowdfunding definitely is uh, a very valid option. I would think about uh, product-based crowdfunding like going to kickstarter mm-hmm. um it is interesting to have some money up front but it's much more interesting even to test your product huh? do you have really a market for your product are people willing to pay for what you're going to offer okay so there you combine financing with extremely important market insight it's much more important than uh, sending out a survey where you ask people would you buy
1: this
0: (laughs) you actually ask people to buy your products so uh, definitely really worthwhile to consider for anyone going to b2c this is less relevant for b2b projects given that you have to appeal to the public at large and this is much more difficult if you have something very technical that no one understands so i would not advise it there
1: yeah, yeah, absolutely. And yeah, it's indeed uh, depending on, on which stage you are. Um, is, there, is there a clear overview on, on in each stage, what you should need actually eh, from early stage uh, when you just have an idea to, to the scale-up phase? What is a normal flow actually?
0: A typical flow as in the textbooks is... Um, <laughs> Going from uh, your family, fools and friends, or family, friends and fans, I should say, rather than fools. Um, your own savings of crowdfunding, angel investors, venture capital investors, private equity, stock markets and so on. Uh, this is so um, driven by the amount that those different types of sources can make, typically make available. Uh, So, on average, angel investors will invest smaller tickets compared to venture capital investors. Mark, you also have angels that invest big tickets as well. And uh, you have seed venture capital funds that also look at smaller investments. So there's quite some overlap. But on average, uh, angels would invest less than VC, VC would invest less than private equity and so on. But it's not carved in stone. Eh? So this is definitely not a rule that all startups should follow Uh, some companies uh, follow very different financing routes and fare very well um Remember, Team Blue, uh, it's now a unicorn. Uh, They have never raised external funding. They started with money from the family. Yes, that's uh, following the textbooks. And then it stopped because they had sufficient internally generated cash flows from the very early days. They never raised external funding up to a point where they really were big and valuations were sky high, where they were uh, able to, where they were willing to raise uh, private equity. So depending on your strategy. Yeah, yeah,
1: Yeah. yeah, That's a wonderful story, of course. If you can uh, pull that one off. Um, Now, yeah, Business Angels, we touched upon that. Um, Where lies the real power of business angels? The real power?
0: Um, the real power if you are an entrepreneur trying to raise angel funding you really have to go for an angel with experience in an area where you, that is important for your venture but where you lack expertise. So um, to have a complementary Individual. An angel investor typically has a business background, an entrepreneurial background, a lot of experience. And if that experience is relevant for your venture, that may be a very relevant value added investor. Okay. But don't fall in the trap as an entrepreneur if you are technologically very savvy. Uh, to look for an angel with the same technological uh, expertise but no other expertise, okay? You have to be have complementary expertise to be really valuable for, for your venture.
1: Yeah, yeah it, I think it's, um, it's making the good choices. But I also think the, yeah. the business angels themselves are also critical, of course. They will not yeah. help everyone. Uh, no,
0: definitely not. Uh, uh. Definitely not. They will also select. Uh, they are highly selective. Um, what is interesting, how they, however, is that nowadays we find, see more and more syndicate of business where a couple of invest together in an individual venture for the entrepreneur. That has as the advantage that there's uh, more expertise around the table, and uh, that might be valuable. So it's not a problem if one or two members of a syndicate just provide the money without added value if next to them there are one or two other members that are highly skilled and experienced in um, topics that are relevant to the venture and second obviously with the syndicate you can also go for bigger tickets um, higher amounts invested
1: so right Sophie so yeah I think there are a lot of ways to finance the startup scale up uh, there's a lot of money available in the market. and um, would you still agree with that, uh, with Corona?
0: Oh yes, oh yes, absolutely. When you look at uh, statistics uh, that are regularly released, they all show that uh, definitely investment activity has not gone down during Corona. Uh, so um, it was already at a high level pre-corona and that high level is sustained during this period uh, there was a temporary glitch the first months of uh, 2020 well when there was a lot of uncertainty but it has picked up immediately so um, that should not deter entrepreneurs to raise funding
1: uh, oh, I, I, I think I can agree on that you also see it in the news uh, and, and oh yeah and then and... I read a statement, I think, last week in the TED. I'm not sure if it was a TED. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, it was a statement that, yeah, while you have a, a big group of people that have a lot of, mon- lot of money and because of the banks printing out money continuously, this group of people always get more and more money. But what, what they've often failed to say, I, I think it maybe it is a problem, but, uh, but what they often fail to say is, that a lot of this money flows back to startups and, and in the economy.
0: Uh, but not enough. Eh? If you look at the level of savings, it increases yeah, even more. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, <coughs> I, I clearly follow the push of uh, all the economists and policymakers <laughs> that you have to put all that uh, sleeping money to work uh, efficiently. And yeah, that's really important. Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. But that's absolutely. a different debate, I guess. That's a different <laughs> debate. Yeah. Yeah. It was a, yeah. A, really a side note. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Another f- source of funding that you often uh, hear about is uh, private equity. Mm-hmm. Um, now, can you m- maybe first explain what is private equity?
0: Uh, private equity is an umbrella term, uh, Martin. Maarten. Uh, uh, technically, it includes all equity invested by professional investors in private firms. Yeah, so uh, and that can venture capital is basically a part of private equity. Um, buyout financing is uh, more strongly associated with the term private equity. So it's a little bit an ambiguous term. If you talk about buyout financing, then professional investors will acquire a majority stake in a mature company. So that's a major difference with venture capital, where they focus on young, uh, high growth oriented companies. Uh, buyout investors will focus on those mature companies that they also want to expand and grow where typically management um, existing or a new management team will also acquire not an important uh, fraction of the shares so as to align the goals of the investors on the one hand and the management team on on the other hand to really go for value creation.
1: And you often see that really more in established companies in, in scale-ups. I think. Um, yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's that's really their playing field, eh? and it's and not only later stage uh, scale-ups, but also very old established companies. Eh? for yeah. example, uh, B Post uh, was previously. Um, government owned organization and that existed for I don't know how many centuries already. Well, it has been taken over at some point in time by a private equity investor uh, who turned it around before bringing it to the stock market. So you can talk about really very, very mature companies there as well.
1: Now, private equity, I think a lot of people have really a, a bad image of it uh, it is a bad reputation
0: Um, yeah unfortunately
1: yeah why why do you think Um,
0: yeah I agree with that observation um, Martin and it's really unfortunate because we do know from our research that uh, on average private equity really creates value in the in their portfolio companies help them to grow up to a level that they would not be able to do without private equity but why does it have a bad reputation It probably has to do with the origins of private equity. So, uh, the first important wave of private equity uh, was seen in the U.S. in the in the '80s, uh, mainly '90s, where uh, the how did they work at that point in time was mainly through or solely through financial engineering, meaning buying. A well functioning company with a lot of debt. So putting in a very tiny amount of equity but a huge amount of debt. And the idea is that the debt would be repaid from the operating cash flows from the underlying company. So basically they bought the company and paying it with the cash flows of the company. But obviously, if you have a lot of debt in that company, uh, then all the cash needs to be used to repay the debt, and there's no cash left for uh, for further development, for growth, for investment. So we do see that quite a lot of those companies did underinvest in R&D, in marketing, etc., to enable to repay the debt. Second um, consequence thereof: if you have way too much debt, and if anything happens operationally with that company so uh, markets are changing new competition new technology whatever Um, this is unsustainable you cannot support that kind of shocks then um, given your high level of debt uh, high level of financial commitments that you have to serve so we do see that indeed uh, quite a lot of those highly leveraged companies um, in the end did not survive um, Due to the fact that the private equity entered with debt levels that were way too high. Nowadays, private equity has developed. They still use a lot of debt. And uh, I must frankly say that at this point in time, uh, I'm again afraid that debt levels are way too high. That we will see quite a lot of um, bad cases popping up. Uh, in the years to come. Uh, I'm really afraid of that. Uh, debt levels are again very high in private equity backed uh, deals. But nowadays, the overarching philosophy of private equity has changed. So it's not only about financial engineering and high levels of debt, but it's also about strengthening the underlying company, creating value with the underlying company. First by empowering management, making them an important shareholder as well. Second, by uh, strengthening the governance, uh, but also by pushing very hard for value creation operationally, by enhancing operational efficiency on the one hand, but also pushing for growth. And so that push for growth is something that is um relatively recent from the well recent in my point of view from the last <laughs> decade let's say uh, that we absolutely did not have before so uh it's now the, the 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 industry has transformed itself and has found a way to be economically really relevant so also relevant from a societal perspective okay
1: so really pushing for growth um uh... And really investing also in companies to make it bigger, yes. stronger. Yes. Oh.
0: Yeah. And so going for growth, efficiency, better governance, everything together, creating a stronger company. Oh.
1: And with governments, uh, governance, you mean really uh, also uh, leveling up the, how the company is managed and the boards oh, yeah. and, and stuff like that. Huh?
0: Oh. Yeah. And everything that comes along with that. Oh. Yeah, absolutely
1: also really mm-hmm. important <laughs> yeah. so um, yeah I think private equity for sure has its place uh, yeah sometimes of course uh, the bad cases you always hear them mm-hmm. in the news uh, yeah but yeah, uh, it, 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 it's yeah that's sad of course um, but now um,
0: but uh, there's also very nice cases yeah, huh? do, you re- do you remember the case of Taminko uh, Taminko was a spin off of UCB. UCB is a chemical, large chemical company, but at some point in time they were reorienting their strategy towards pharma. Now there was one division in, in UCB that really focused on basic chemicals. Now if you are a division producing basic chemicals in a pharma company, you will not get a lot of strategic attention. From the parent, from uh, from the CEOs. Okay, so uh, it did not fit in that uh, strategy anymore, and at some point in time, UCB decided to sell the division in a buyout operation. So the existing manager took over the company um, together, obviously with private equity investors. Um, given that the attention was now fully focused on that basic chemicals division. They got the full attention. They were were able to grow. Um, Basically, that company went to three phases of different private equity investors. From a relatively local investor, they started with a Dutch investor. Then they got money from an Anglo-Saxon investor with a more pan-European perspective. And the third investor was an American investor because the idea was then to get an. uh, Um, to be uh, to do an IPO on uh, the stock exchange which they did okay so you do see how that company has developed and uh, huge level of value creation in that very mature boring between brackets company
1: so a lot of good stories
0: (laughs) I like that story very much yeah (laughs) That was a win-win for all parties involved, for all stakeholders, for the financial investors, definitely, but definitely as well for the management, not only financially, but they were able to develop the company because they saw the potential in that company, but they were curtailed while being at UCB, Mm -hmm. given they were not strategic anymore, then they were able to fly on their own wings and to, to make it happen.
1: that's wonderful i think really private trickery is perfect for that absolutely yeah Yeah.
0: and uh, nowadays we do see many more of those stories which uh, provide nice role models which is important i think uh, Mm -hmm. showing to others what is possible that is so much more possible nowadays that you might not uh, intuitively uh, think about
1: And maybe that way we uh, forget about all those movies from the 90s and the 80s. Uh, yes. About those sharks that come into the company, yeah. cut up the company and fire everyone. And then yeah. have a big party in a pool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Martin, I'm not saying that this does not happen anymore. You still will have some players uh, who have some kind of approach comparable to that. But that's not, a, not the dominant approach. This is yeah. what I want to stress. That's, definitely not. Yeah. So as an entrepreneur, do not take your money just from anyone throwing money at you. You really should your, do your due diligence on uh, mm-hmm. who your investor is. So uh, what, is, uh, what are the goals of uh, those investors? How are they working? Uh, what are they aiming for? and uh, if you feel that there's a good match you can have uh, a very nice story
1: yeah absolutely so maybe quickly um, a question about vleric also i think uh uh, yeah vleric has a huge role and impact in belgium uh, on helping startups and scale-ups grow um can you elaborate more on that
0: Oh, okay thank you thank you this is a very nice question martin I like I like it I like it because uh, entrepreneurship has been in the DNA of lyric since uh, since we were founded okay so nowadays entrepreneurship is uh, important in many business schools because they, it's it's cool it seems to attract uh, a new breed of uh, of uh, participants etc but it has been in the lyrics DNA since since the very beginnings because that was the purpose of our founder is to ensure that that, uh, our entrepreneurial so- uh, to, to, to enhance entrepreneurship and entrepreneurial society, and ensure that the entrepreneurs were also able to develop a sustainable uh, company. Uh, so it has been in our DNA and it always was in our DNA. So we find entrepreneurs extremely important. And that's why we have specific uh, programs tailored for uh, all kinds of entrepreneurs. But we also have entrepreneurship classes in all of our master and MBA programs. So uh, if you take a long-term program at Vleric, you are confronted with entrepreneurship. We really want to show that there's alternatives Next to working for a big corporate or for a consultant or whatever, nothing wrong with that. But we want yeah. our students to, to consider all the different options and to understand that every option can be really interesting, meaningful, valuable. So it's all over the place. And we also research it, obviously, given that we are also an Absolutely. academic business
1: school. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. yeah. And yeah, with you as uh, one of the lead uh, researchers, actually, eh? for, for, for I, to be honest, well, I, uh, maybe we can say that you're even, you have the, the pop star, rock star uh, image <laughs> now in in the in, in that world of entrepreneurial finance.
0: Martin, I'm not considering <laughs> myself as a pop star. <laughs> Thanks for the analogy. I never thought about it like that. But yeah. Um, Um, when we study entrepreneurship at Vlerik entrepreneurial finance is one important aspect but there's other aspects as well and then I have other colleagues uh, who also look at that who do a great job there as well a lot of great (laughs) it's not a one woman show Uh, definitely not
1: (laughs) (laughs) a lot of great uh, researchers indeed and uh, a lot of uh, great big quality also huge quality at Vlerik
0: yeah 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 yeah. we should not be too modest there I fully agree with that and so well let's our modesty behind
1: maybe a final question Sophie Um, so I had a lot of startups already in the show Uh, a lot of also companies that have grown for example RoboVision uh, with AI uh, Mm -hmm. ml six now I have noticed that uh, Gent has a really big ecosystem not around uh around several types of companies, but I think biotech is a big one, Uh, Mm -hmm. but also tech companies. uh, and Mm -hmm. It's it's a tech podcast. Mm -hmm. Where does that success come from?
0: Okay, so um, first, uh, it is well known worldwide that uh, that kind of entrepreneurship really thrives well in cities. Uh, rather than on the countryside Um, and that uh, it definitely evolves in hubs where you create dense networks uh, among the different participants and actors and one of the triggering extremely important triggering uh, factors in Ghent was that in the 90s there were two crazy young entrepreneurs uh, creating netlock um, and NetLock, um, the older listeners may still remember that, may have been a member. It's a social network. And say, yes, social networks. But at when they were um, thriving, they were bigger than Facebook, to put it in right. perspective. Facebook was much smaller than it is right now, Uh, but they were bigger than Facebook. Obviously, they were not able to raise the amount of funding that Facebook was able to raise that enabled it to grow, uh, given that when they were active, there was some risk capital, venture capital, but not to the same amounts as there is now in in, in our region. But uh, so they had that great, very early story, very successful up to a point that they were outcompeted by Facebook's uh, the winner takes all, so uh, it does not exist anymore. But that was really important. Why? Because they had so many employees in the region working for them, for that kind of tech company. And we do see that a lot of those employees started their own company. And the two founders themselves started a couple of were active in a couple of other companies were uh, investors in other companies were mentoring other entrepreneurs. And when we do see a second generation, we see not only subsidiaries, um, but then those um, new companies also spawned off new companies, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And once you have, so that created an initial critical mass of uh, like-minded people, uh, comparable visions, working uh, in a very entrepreneurial way on comparable topics. Okay, so they could really talk to each other. And once you have a critical mass, you attract also people from outside that were not initially part of the hub, but are that are attracted by the activity. And then you have a very virtuous circle, obviously. Yeah? But Absolutely. Netlock definitely was the start was of a the spark. whole tech scene uh, in Ghent. Yeah,
1: yeah. so that's yeah. really, really the origin. The... Okay, that was like, really the spark. Uh,
0: Like HP uh, and uh, Intel were really igniting Silicon Valley. Uh, Netlock in Ghent was the analogy.
1: Okay, yeah. that's uh, really a cool story, and I've been looking for that answer for I think about almost thirty episodes. So, okay. yeah, yeah. so I finally <laughs> have the answer.
0: Um, uh, Martin, you probably interviewed much younger people.
1: Uh, that's uh, the, no, 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 not, that, always, not always. With not some always. history
0: you can have a different look. <laughs> not always.
1: Okay, cool. Thank you, uh, Sophie. Um, we've come to the end of the show. I would like to thank you uh, for participating. Um, it was really interesting. Uh, next week we will have another startup story in our uh, mini-series. So, uh, thank you again. Thank you for the listeners.
0: Thank you, Martin. Uh, Thank you for having invited me for this show. Uh, It was great sharing my ideas and my vision. And I would welcome reactions on uh, my ideas, obviously. Okay,
1: super. Thank you, Sophie. Okay, and to the listeners, bye. See you next week. Aspects, the partner met meer dan 15 jaar ervaring in application hosting voor al uw cloud-oplossingen. Onze missie Een zorgeloze IT-infrastructuur opzetten op maat van jouw organisatie, met gegarandeerde maximale uptime.